Well, good morning to all of you. It's uh, good to be back with you, and uh, it is a privilege to open up God's Word with you today. I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, the book of Philippians chapter 2, and I will uh, forewarn you that uh, my health is still... uh, somewhat weak and uh, so we'll go as well and long as it holds out here today Uh, so please pray me through and us through and when I run out of gas I'm just going to say I'm done and uh, we'll, we'll be done all right Philippians chapter 2 I want to begin our reading down in verse 5 of this beautiful letter. If you haven't read Philippians recently, do so. It is a wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul to a young church in a small town called Philippi. In Philippians 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's wonderful word to us. Lord, would you please open our eyes and our ears to see wondrous things, to hear wondrous things, and to be filled with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to suggest to you this morning that this text of Scripture offers us what I would call essential Christianity. This is the very essence of our faith. This is the core of our faith. Without this text and these truths, we would not have the faith that we embrace. I'm convinced that many in our world today and many who profess to be Christians do not really grasp the essence of it all. Too often we are taken up with the externals and the peripheral issues of life in this world and we lose sight of that which is the very heart of it all. It made me think this week of uh, what I I think a number of you would know about me already, and that is that I am a great fan of the sequoia trees. I 
love the sequoias. They do something to me uh, that is um, life-affecting. A few years ago, Galen and I went out to California to see the sequoias. We traveled 3,000 miles to look at some trees. Very similar to the thousands and millions of people who drive and fly thousands of miles to northern New York to see water coming out of Niagara. But the reality was that we did not travel thousands of miles to see trees. Why do you think we traveled 3,000 miles to see the sequoias? Was it to look at trees? No. It was to feel wonder. That's why we went. To feel wonder. You know about the sequoias, right? I've told you about them before, but it's always worth thinking about, again, sequoias. Uh, Let's talk about the General Sherman sequoia tree. It is the largest living organism on the planet. Um, The General Sherman sequoia tree is wider than our pipe organ. Just, Just envision that. Wider by about six feet wider than our pipe organ, and if you, were to, if, if you were to, we were to be able to look all the way up, you would see that it, it rises 300 feet. That's a football field stood on its end. So six feet wider than our pipe organ, going up 300 feet. You don't go to look at a tree We didn't go to Sequoia to look at the the branches and the twigs and the the pine cones and the bark. We went to see the Sequoias because we wanted to feel wonder. We find joy in awe and wonder. And I am proposing to you this morning that Philippians chapter 2 inspires wonder and awe. The Christian faith is not about the twigs of certain rules or the branches of certain ceremonies or the bark of certain laws and precepts and all the rest. No, the essence of Christianity is a kind of sequoia-like stature of wonder and magnificence. And Paul describes it for us here. If we look at the text In verse 6, we read that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was in the form of God. And then we read in verses 10 and 11 that the day is going to come when every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth is going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was God. He is Lord. This is the, the, the wonder of it all. This is the, the, the glory of our faith. This is the majesty of it all. He was in the form of God. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. But in between those two bookends on this text, verse 6 and verses 10 and 11, in between, He was in the form of God. And He is Lord. 
in between those high and lofty truths, there is a deep abyss of humiliation and suffering and sorrow that He experienced for us. He was in the form of God. He is Lord. And in between, He became one of us. And He became obedient to the Father all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is our faith. And my prayer and my plea before God is that He will in this Christmas season help us to, in a fresh way, in a, an affecting way, in an awe-inspiring way, in a worship-producing way, that, that He would show us afresh. That this is not a season primarily for glitter and lights and presents. This is a season to get down on our knees and to wonder. To wonder. The old folk hymn, I wonder as I wander. I wonder as I wander. We wonder, do we not? as we wander and ponder and think over these things. So, here's, here's what I want to cover in this week and next week's message, God enabling us. I, I want us to, to cover our Lord's pre-incarnate glory. I'll explain that in a minute. And then our Lord's three-step descent into humiliation. And then our Lord's return to glory. And then the difference that it should make in our lives. So let's, let's begin with the pre-incarnate glory of Christ. I should mention for those that may not be familiar, when we speak of the incarnation of Jesus, what we are speaking of is the, the fact that He, as the eternal Son of God, took on flesh. He was incarnated. He took on a human body in Colossians 2, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Him all that the fullness of God, all the attributes of God, all the reality of God dwells in a bodily form. It's what John had in mind in John chapter 1 where he says, in the beginning was the Word, a a name for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the most staggering announcement in the history of the cosmos. The Word, the eternal Son of God, became flesh. God came in a body. To everyone, everywhere, who always asks the question, if God is real, why doesn't He show Himself and prove it? The answer is, He has. He has shown us Himself perfectly in His Son, Jesus who came here and was born 
in Bethlehem. Now, what we need to see here is if this is going to astound us and move us as it should, we need to understand His pre-incarnate glory. In other words, we need to pause and take a look at the Son of God before Bethlehem. For Bethlehem to amaze you, you need to get a sneak peek back into heaven and what was happening and who the Son of God was before Bethlehem. Notice verse 6. He was in the form of God. This refers to His existence before His incarnation. He was in the form of God. He is, as one person has put it, He is the one person in the history of of the world who was alive long before He was born. Nobody else. He was alive long before He was born. And what or who was He alive as? The form of God. The visible radiance and shining forth of the glory of God. He was God shining forth. God's Son, eternally existent with the Father. And He was in the form of God. Now, again, what does that mean? What does that look like? We're so often when we think about Jesus, when we think about our Savior, we think of Him almost entirely in His humanity. We see the body or we think about the body. But what, was, what did He look like? What was He like before the Incarnation? I want to invite you to flip in your Bible, turn in your Bible back to the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 6. Back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And before I read, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 6, you should know that John, in John chapter 12, tells us that the vision that Isaiah has here is a vision of the glory of Christ. So, what we're going to be looking at here is a description of the majesty of the pre-incarnate Son of God. So, Hear this with me. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is referring to the pre-incarnate Lord. The pre-incarnate Son of God. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. As I read this text this week and I started thinking about the the temple 
that Isaiah entered into here. And it made me wonder, I wanted to be reminded of how big the temple sanctuary was. It would have been almost exactly the same size as this room right here. Just a little bit smaller than this room right here. And in the year that King Uzziah died, a great king, a king who had been in power for a long time and had done many things in that year of political turmoil where he had died, Isaiah was in the temple and while in the temple, presumably praying and seeking the face of God, suddenly heaven opened up and he saw a vision. And in that vision, he saw high and lifted up in the temple. He saw a throne. And on that throne, there was the Lord of hosts. And there were seraphim and there were angels all around him. Some of them had wings, or they all had six wings, and, and with two wings they flew around in the temple, and with two wings they covered their eyes. Because the sight of the glory of the pre-incarnate Son of God was so blazing was so brilliant, was so magnificent that not even the angels could stare into it without shading their eyes. And the place shook. And the train of his robe, the king's robe, the train filled the temple. And the angels sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The pre-incarnate Son of God before Bethlehem, before the incarnation, the Son of God dwelt in glory. At the Father's side, He dwelt in glory. The angels could not look on Him without shading their eyes. The song of heaven just kept looping around over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the eternal Son of God. The whole earth is full of His glory. That is the One who took on human flesh. That is the One who entered a baby's body. That is the one we worship. Oh, dear ones, if you're a believer, don't get stuck on the twigs and the branches and the leaves. Feel the wonder. The wonder of it all. The old Christmas hymn, Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. At His feet we humbly fall. We need to ponder. We need to ponder. I am aware that um, as I stand here right now, my... uh, my energy is about to give out, so I'm, I am going to stop here. Uh, 
we'll come back to this next week. And we're going to take a good look at the humble, the three-step downward steps he took into humiliation. This one who was in the form of God, who filled the temple with His glory, of whom the angels sing incessantly. He did not consider His equality with God as something to be held on to. He chose to become a servant and make Himself obedient to the Father all the way to death, even death on a cross. That is our faith. That is our Savior. Do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Is He your Savior? You see, and I'll say this now, and I'll probably say it again next week, those who would say that all the religions and faiths are basically the same could not be more wrong. There is no other that offers to us a God and a Savior like this. He stands alone. He towers over all other pretenders. He is truly God who became truly man to pay the penalty, the punishment for your sins and for mine. That we, that we might join Him in the glory that He enjoys in the Father's presence. Do you want to have a part in this? Do you want that kind of Savior? I urge you today, bow your head and your heart before the King of glory and say, O King, be my King. I need you to be my King. I need you to be my Savior. I need to know that my sins have already been paid for. Lord Jesus, save me. If you've never prayed that prayer before or something like it in which you invite Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, then do it right now. Right where you are. Right where you are. Just right where you are. Bow your head before Him. See with the eye of faith the King sitting on His throne and come before Him and bow before Him and say, King Jesus, King Jesus be mine and I will be yours. And if you are a believer, oh how I pray that you and I and all of us together in this Christmas season will somehow or other find moments where we pause to wonder and pause to rejoice. For we have a Savior unlike any other. Oh, how He loves you 
and me. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we adore You. We are awestruck at the sight and sound of Your name and of Your glory. Oh, Lord, help us today and help us each day in the midst of all the busyness to have moments to pause and be amazed. And Lord, now as we close our worship, would You please give us a voice to sing to the One who is worthy, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing in response to Him.